Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's happening, everybody? Yo, yo, yo. So, this week we are going to continue with our read-through of Invincible. We are currently on year 10. What issues would those comprise, Drew? We are reading Invincible numbers 109 through 120. That is volumes 20 and 21 of the trade paperback editions, or volume 10 of the deluxe hardcovers. Rundown of the credits, we have Robert Kirkman as writer, Ryan Otley as penciler and inker on several issues of this run. Cliff Rathburn inked the other issues. John Rauch colored the first arc, and the colorist of the second trade was Jean-Francois Bialio. I might have mispronounced that, sorry. Russ Wooten is the letterer, and the editor is Sean Makovich. So here we are, continuing with Invincible. Mm-hmm. We didn't have an episode last week because Albert was at the New York Comic Con. You want to tell us about the show or say anything about it, Albert? Um, I mean, there really wasn't much to say. It was a good show. There was a lot going on uh you know even though we're in covid times people were ready to come out and uh you know they did it within the parameters of safety you know everybody was diligent about their masks everybody theoretically had their vaccinations so (laughs) you know um it was an event of that size and scale that tried to be as safe as possible for something that big and mm-hmm. uh you know it it was it was a good chance to feel like something normal uh you know like uh, something before the before the bad old days <laughs> so yeah uh it was a good opportunity to see some old vendors and friends i hadn't seen in a while as well as uh you know uh see some meet, see and meet some creators that i hadn't met before and uh and mostly to get comics. That was the big one. <laughs> yeah, man. Get cheap comics. You hauled out, right? Heck, I did. Heck, yeah, I did. Very good, man. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, should we go into uh, just kind of a brief summary of what ended up happening in this year's uh, Invincible? This year's... Uh, Mm-hmm. slate of issues yeah yeah so go for it. okay so when we last left off uh mark grayson was i was gonna say say shanghai but that's not really what he was he was abandoned in an alternate dimension by robot who finally reveals himself to mm-hmm. be this uh machiavellian mastermind who has he he essentially has ideas to change the world for the better ideas that he honed from his time in this other dimension the flaxen um, dimension the flaxen dimension right this this entire lifetime that he he had there several lifetimes actually yeah and uh he saw mark grayson as a potential threat to his plans and very quickly right at the beginning of this of of this year's stories they just they just blast through it uh with robot just 
slaughtering a bunch of yeah. uh, the heroes of this current uh, of his of the prime uh, earth of his prime earth exactly of his his dimension uh so he enacts his plan to install himself in a position where he is going to be a power player and architect that will orchestrate the defense of the planet the defense and the running of the planet yeah and uh like in short what ends up happening is he he puts himself he puts mark and really everybody in checkmate once he's enacted his plan you know mm-hmm. um yeah that so that that's what happens in the first uh trade it's one of those of situations it. where he uses his his uh intellect and his power and resources to bring peace freedom justice and security to his new empire yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there i will say that reading it there were there were things in it that jumped out at me that were flourishes of ozymandias in uh watchman you know mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. the fact that as we see him later in the series and he's he's a guy in a suit now and he's just you know just the smuggest, smartest guy on the playground. Yeah. Uh, I half expected him to go, I did it! <laughs> <laughs> I brought heaven to earth now! <laughs> um, yeah, for those of you, that was a, a, a pretty poor attempt at mimicking Ozymandias at the end of Washman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but uh yeah there's there's a lot of like littler developments uh as they progress the story uh in the second the second trade that follows it uh little thing oh not not so little but um well i thought the if i may uh interject i was going to say that i thought that the second trade the story in the second trade was far more character driven as opposed to plot and event driven like the second trade yeah. explores the ramifications of what robot has done yeah and it also follows around well, we follow mark's perspective and his response to what robot has done and mark's yeah. response is basically i need to leave this planet because i i can't deal with this anymore like there's yeah. if i try to fight him I mean, it'll only result robot, in more devastation yeah robots kind of got him you know he, he's kind of got one over mark even though yeah. mark is physically more powerful if a uh, robot's technology allows him to fight on a superior level than mark alone and if mark gathers all the surviving heroes to try and it'll truly be a bloodbath of yeah it'll truly be a bloodbath like at that point even innocent people are gonna get torn up yeah so so mark really can't do a whole lot about it because on top of that, he's got a new responsibility as a father to a newborn baby girl. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, his new priority is to protect his child and to protect Eve. So they he ends up yeah convincing Eve that they need to move off planet. And yeah. that ends up uh, we end up following them into this. It's kind of strange because we we leave Earth and then we follow Mark. And we see them on the uh, Coalition's main planet, the planet where Alan the alien has his his headquarters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we see 
Mark and Adam Eve and their baby adjusting to life on that planet. Yeah. It's something that I've never seen before. It's an interesting route to take um, because usually in story, in most stories like, like this, there's a pretty definitive end where, you know, the good guy wins and maybe Mm -hmm. in a rare occasion, the bad guy wins. And that's kind of at that it's a fine, there's a finality to it, right? Where either way, someone dies, but um, the interesting thing about this story is uh, the bad guy wins and life keeps going and is Mark, robot a bad guy though well okay uh maybe bad guy was a reductive way of putting it but the uh protagonist wins the antagonist Ag- antagonist wins and yeah it just puts and instead of that being the period of the story we get to see what life continues to be like after it you know mm-hmm. and and even on in 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 stories that we've seen where the antagonist wins the i feel like the it's usually temporary it's usually temporary and the common response is always we've we got to rally that. our forces marshal our people yep. for a for a retaliatory strike and restore order or whatever right yep it's always you've taken your best shot now it's my turn yeah <laughs> Yeah, and this might, I like, I don't know how people are going to take it, but you're right, they're, like, some some people might look at what Mark did as, does as cowardly, you know, for him yeah. to focus yeah. inward on his family. I mean, people family. within the story actually do consider him a coward. They do, they do, yeah. they do. Yeah, so I'm, well, I guess at this point... I should uh, just say to all our listeners, it goes without saying that that uh, we're about to go straight into heavy spoilers as we discuss what happens in these issues. I mean, I, f- I figure this is the 10th Invincible episode we've done. So I'm yeah. pretty sure if you're anyone listening to this is either reading along with us or just doesn't care about spoilers or maybe, you know, this is at some point, uh, you know, after we posted the episode somebody in the future has gone back to to the archives and you know they're rereading or reading invincible and they found our podcast somehow maybe uh you're just listening to us uh but i think the the basics of the story are pretty much as we described just now but i also wanted to examine a lot of the different issues and and ideas that were raised within the story which i thought were pretty interesting even even just the little storytelling tactics or not tactics but decisions that mm-hmm. Kirkman and Otley made to tell this story I thought were pretty unusual especially with the yeah. story of Mark deciding to just leave Earth yeah it's it does feel like I mean I'm not gonna say that he looked at a bunch of existing stories and was like what if we just decided to go in another direction just to see what would happen? Yeah. But it does kind of feel that way. <laughs> it kind of does. It kind of yeah. does. And I think it's something that you mentioned in some of our other Invincible episodes before about how Kirkman is somebody who is so familiar with the mechanism of superhero comics 
that when he does his own superhero comics, he's able to take the expected paradigms that currently are in place and sort of put his own twist on them yeah, so that yeah. they're a little bit more unpredictable than your corporate cape comics. Yeah. And his comics end up taking the the tropes or the archetypes that we superhero readers are really familiar with. Mm-hmm. And he chooses to do something maybe not if not completely different, at least slightly different, so that there's there's something an element to what he does where you don't think, oh, this is just something I've seen a hundred times before. It could yeah. be something that just makes you quirk your eyebrow or make you think, oh, I've, I don't, I can't remember the last time I read a superhero comic where the hero decided to give up and move to another planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good way of putting it. Um, it's just, yeah, you're right. The on a meta level, his his familiarity with comics is such a boon to him here as a writer that he can kind of hit us in places that we're definitely not familiar with right or even even in the instances where it's something that you would kind of expect he'll present it in a way that's different enough where it's it's interesting mm-hmm. from a meta from a metal meta perspective yeah definitely yeah, for sure some of the storytelling choices that he makes are really unexpected and unusual. And the thing that stands out early on in in these issues. Uh, so, well, here, let me uh, build up to it a little bit. So when you uh, summarized last year's issues, you mentioned how it ended with Mark trapped in that alternate Earth by robot uh, having ditched him there so in the in issue 109 mark is able to find that universe's rex robot or i guess he's not rex he's just robot yeah he's still in that weird deformed baby looking body inside the the tube yeah in that universe he'd, he'd never got that other body uh-huh. so mark's able to convince him to help him build a way to get back to mark's earth and then we just leave that universe and we don't see them again, at least not up to this point. So in issue one, 110, uh, Mark comes back to Earth, finds out that uh, Eve is, you know, she's been she's upset at him because she's pregnant and he left on that mission to the other dimension to do something she explicitly told him she didn't want him to do, which was to go assassinate Angstrom Levy. Yeah. Yeah. And they have this falling out. And when Mark flies away, one of the other Viltrumites, Anissa, you know, the Viltrumites that are living on that dark side of the moon or wherever it is, she ends up tracking him down on Earth. And he's in this emotional state, having uh, basically being just gotten dumped by Eve. Mm -hmm. And Anissa tries to fight him. And she not only beats him up and fights him, but she rapes him. Which is yeah. just a really unexpected story choice. Like that's yeah. one of those things where if if you had flipped the genders, it, it would have been something that I think a lot of people probably would have had uh, an issue or a problem with. Yeah. 
the other thing that it makes me so this is it's it's such a peculiar decision to make for the story Mm -hmm. but i do feel like it's something that's ripe with a lot of discussion um certainly you're right that if the if the genders had been switched um yeah i'm pretty sure a lot of people would have been outraged yeah Uh, it might have been gratuitous heck i i think i'd even say it's still even a bit gratuitous the way it is yeah Um, yeah but i don't know you you presented me with an interesting question where you know uh i i i think i initially commented on how just because of the fast pace of of it all just how fast everything moved uh in order to get to them to that point in the story some of those tones felt a little flat to me mm-hmm. but you you raised the question of uh what if they were trying to say something about the use of rape in comics and and this was only like maybe a couple hours ago so maybe it's sunk in a little more since then um i still can't say for sure whether that that's what they're trying to say Mm -hmm. but yeah it, it it certainly gave me food for thought yeah i i don't know either uh Either way, like I, I couldn't say for sure if Kirkman and Otley were trying to make some kind of commentary. Yeah. It, like the the difficult thing about having a story element like rape is it it for whatever reason like we don't we never really bat an eye at just normal violence, but when it comes to sexual violence, that's you know it's shocking. It's yeah. It's like, what is this? Why is this in my in my uh comic book, man? Why is this yeah. in my fiction or, or in my story? Yeah. And it makes you wonder, is there some kind of purpose or reason behind it? Or is this just some kind of cheap way to drum up the melodrama? Yeah. Yeah. And I, there... I think at this point we've read a hundred and ten issues of the series. So it, it would be weird. I feel like I would be betraying them if I just said, "Man, this is so cheap of them to to try and do this to to amp up the drama." They they're they're just making it melodramatic. You know, they're trivializing a sexual assault and and you know, turning it into some kind of punchline. You know, like but yeah. but because we've read so much of it and we know that that uh you know, there's a lot of depth in these in this series. It I don't think I would say that. Like I'm yeah. still trying to figure out exactly why they did it though like i I definitely don't think they did it just to be shocking or for shock value yeah yeah but i'm still even though i read this a couple days ago i'm still trying to to process and figure out why they chose to to go that route with the story same here man like i i totally agree it's it's perplexing you know Mm -hmm. because it it feels like even hearing you say the word rape on on a, on like just hearing you say it in this podcast there is a part of me that flinches a little bit you know yeah and yeah and it's, it's like that one 
uh, I forget the stand-up comedian who, who had that bit, but oh, Kevin Shea, where okay, yeah, where he talks about you can, grapes. You can probably tell that joke better than I can. Oh, uh, I I actually don't remember the entirety of the joke. The but... main thing I remember is that he he mentioned he was talking about how the word rape makes us all kind of tremble, right? Because yeah. it's just one of those words where we don't really want to talk about about that. Yeah. But then once you put a G in front of it, you have the word grape, and grapes are delicious. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't see, know why you I did it. thought of that. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> um, yeah, but I was going to say, like, I, I, I had the same instinct that you had, where it almost felt like if this had been anyone else, like, I, I feel like we've brought this up before. Uh in in some of the other podcasts about invincible like we're talking where, about mark miller comics no 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 not not the particular subject of rape but oh okay in, in other uh robert kirkman comics where again it goes back to the idea that he is so familiar with uh kind of the workings and the history of comics that him being allowed to do this series this universe for such a long time allows him to go from, you know, like the golden age to the silver age, to the bronze age, to the dark age, to the modern age, mm-hmm. and to do uh, an, an evolution of his character through all those ages. Right. Yeah. And this kind of a uh, story trope is the kind of thing that we would have seen in like, the the 90s, the 90s. Yeah. exactly so when when you hear about it this happening to a character it's it's the sort of thing that makes you go is this just their way of amping up the stakes and making this series darker but because we me and you have the like metatextual understanding of kirkman and what he's trying to do like I don't want to make necessarily make excuses for him and try to you know, I don't know how else to put it, but should try to polish a turd, not that this <laughs> is a turd, but you know, cuz if it's bad it's bad, right? But Yeah. Like I'm willing to give Kirkman more the benefit of the doubt because it like you said, we've stuck with him through this long through this much of the comic and we know at least we believe that there's more going on beneath the surface, right? Mm-hmm. So when he does this this trope that was that's that was something used, it, it wasn't even in the '90s. I mean, when they did Identity Crisis, that was a big thing that happened, you know. That's true, yeah. And yeah. it's it depends on who you ask, um, but I'd wager that most comics people look to those era to those stories where where something like rape did happen and well i, I don't know i was going to initially i was going originally going to say that they looked at those pretty like badly but i think a lot of people like identity crisis so <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people do like identity crisis although maybe in the years since the consensus opinion has shifted slightly. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't. I couldn't say for sure. Yeah. But 
I definitely think that when it first came out, it was a big hit, not only in terms of sales, but Critically. I remember a lot of people speaking and writing favorably about it in terms of reviews online mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and just hearing people at comic book stores talking about it. I remember, heck, I remember when I was when when I was in college, which was when Identity Crisis was uh, being serialized. I remember I had some friends who were they weren't Wednesday Warrior type readers, but they they liked superhero comics and superhero characters and they they would read and buy the occasional superhero comic that interested them and had this one friend who bought identity crisis and it was his favorite comic like he absolutely loved it and when i when i slagged it in front (laughs) of him and like i you know i told him why i thought it was a horrible comic and why i didn't like it and you know i try to explain i didn't I didn't just say, oh, this sucks, and I just left it at that. I tried to explain the problems I had with the story, and he just wasn't having it, man. He got really? mad at me. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there there are people. I don't know if he still feels that strongly about the story today because, you know, this is like 15 years mm-hmm. ago or, you know, it was well over a decade ago. So, yeah. For all I know, he could look back on those days and be like, why did I like that comic? I haven't talked to him in a long time, so I don't know what he thinks. Yeah, yeah. But it it just reminds me of how Identity Crisis did have a big fan base. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why it resonated with people at the time was because it was dark. Because, And part of the reason why it was dark was because Brad Meltzer turned Dr. Light into a rapist. Yeah. (laughs) you know that's just an easy way to make things dark i guess right but i think for for some people they they read a story like identity crisis and they immediately get this sense of darkness because the bad the villain is so bad you know because he's he's he was willing to go he was willing to cross that line that that goes over like cartoonish supervillainy, right? Yeah, We're it's no fine longer... if you just want to beat people up or hold someone hostage or take over the world or yeah, you know, or even try to kill somebody. But if once you, you create try to, a giant you... laser, you're... yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's cartoons is what it is. Yeah, you can, then, you can stab you use somebody. Use that laser to rape someone. <laughs> you a bad dude now. Yeah, you you exactly. a real monster. You made it. Yeah, and that is what Doctor Light did. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. The more I'm talking about it with you now, I'm I'm unpacking it in my head, and it sort of again. I'm not making excuses for Kirkman, and I'm not trying to like make the idea of rape in comics better or like to justify it artistically or whatever, right? But I'm just trying to understand is what I'm trying yeah. to do, right? Yeah. We're trying to figure out why they did this in the story. Yes, exactly. And, and so it if we go back to the idea that Robert Kirkman is doing his version of all these of all the different various eras of uh of comics, then it almost 
from his perspective, it would almost make sense that he would have to address this third rail, right? right. If, if Invincible is supposed to be his statement on all of comics as they have existed up to this point, he has to include Superhero the good with the bad. Superhero comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Superhero comics, exactly. Like, then he, on some level, he has to include something like this because in the history of comics, it's in there, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is him doing, finding a way to acknowledge that and do, yeah, to acknowledge that, basically. Yeah, and I certainly think it's better than like, what if he had done a story where where one of the Viltrumites raped Adam Eve or something? You know, like, that that would have, I think, been even harder to stomach. I think but, it would have, yeah, that definitely would have made a lot of people, that would have upset a lot of people, for sure. Because when you do something like that to the main heroes, to the protagonist's uh, girlfriend, then you're just doing that. Uh, girlfriends in refrigerators trope, you know, like the yeah. idea of of you're just doing something really a prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're treating the female character like a prop, and and a lot of uh, superhero comics throughout the decades have constantly, basically, used the love interest of the hero. Yeah. Um, as as a prop, they've people have put mm -hmm. these female characters, these love interests, into horrible situations where they either get damaged really badly or yeah they even get killed and it's really just to serve as it's a stakes raiser yeah it raises the stakes for the book and it's supposed to galvanize the hero or give him some kind of character character development as though yeah. you know it, it's almost like a really lazy way of, of making a character grow because in some in some sense it's almost like the writer's like man i don't know how to how to help this character grow. So I'll just kill off his girlfriend and, you know, we'll see how he reacts to that. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. No, we got to give him something really sad in his backstory <clears throat> so that the readers will sympathize with him. So here, here's this new green lantern, Cal Rayner. When he gets home from his first day on the job, he'll find his girlfriend in a refrigerator. Yeah. And now uh, he and goes that, from being and a, that's literally every man what happens. To, yeah. He goes from being an every man to a tragic hero. Yeah, he has to yeah. grow up super fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and when you, when when people rely on on that kind of storytelling trope so often, that that's when it becomes this awful crutch. Makes it really hard to take the rest of the story as seriously as the writer yeah. probably wants us to. Yeah. But the, yeah. the difference with Invincible is number one, he does it in issue 110. So it's it's not like this is the backstory or the origin story we've already had a whole bunch of character development up to this point and then anissa rapes invincible yeah and it's, i was trying to think about the like the overall arc or the thematic uh content of year 10's worth of issues like both of these two trades i think have a lot to say about power and this is just me kind of working through it out loud because I, I don't know if I necessarily have any fully formed conclusion but mm -hmm. I, I want to see what you think man because yeah, I'm thinking it. that if these stories in these in issues 109 to, to 120 if, if these stories are about the idea of power and examining power uh, then this is 
something that's either supposed to show the protagonist when he's at a point where he doesn't have power or it's some kind of statement about violent power because she overpowers him basically in this in this uh sequence mm. and and the reason why i th- i think that year 10 has a focus or a a magnifying glass on the theme of power is because number one there's there's this scene you know it's it's a very significant scene i think because it's not like mark gets up afterwards and he's you know back to normal and happy go lucky no it it affects him for yeah. the rest of the issues yeah uh, secondly the the biggest i think most obvious examination of power in these issues is robots rise to power you know him taking over the global defense agency and essentially becoming the secret ruler or i guess he thinks protector of the world that's a crazy amount of power he overthrows all of the systems that have already been in place to prevent something someone like him from taking control and he just moves in takes control and nobody the common man the general public has no idea what has happened they're just living under his thumb and he has all this power over the other heroes to the point where they he, they're either already dead or they're just in hiding and trying to bide their time yeah and yeah. then the third example of how power is displayed in these issues is thrag versus battle beast they spend a whole bunch of issues fighting each other on the bug planet where oliver was born like i think the whole the entire second arc like they're pretty much fighting a few pages each of those issues so that's Mm. a very big example of the most primal kind of power that we have in superhero comics, which is just fisticuffs, you know, like Superman, a couple of Superman basically flying at each other, crashing into each other, ripping each other up, punching each other. They're just doing all sorts of crazy damage to the face of the, the planet they're fighting on while they're messing each other up. So it's it's just very, it's just a like a force of nature kind of power. So I'm thinking of... of all of this because all this power being in play uh it's 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 like after mark gets raped he's at the the low point right he's like at this point where he has no power and and uh he spends so much time dealing with it emotionally in his own mind to the point where he can barely uh, talk about it when he gets back together with Eve. You know, it's something that, yeah. that haunts him. Uh, I suppose you could even make the argument or wonder if he hadn't been raped, would he have left the planet? Or was that something that completely sapped his will to fight? Because at that point he realized he couldn't win every battle. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Like it, it's, those are all just thoughts that I'm throwing out. Cause I, oh, yeah. I, I really don't know what, Kirkman and Notley were thinking when they decided to to go down this route of having Mark get raped. I, have, yeah. I haven't looked up any interviews or anything, so I don't, yeah. I don't know if they've ever addressed it or said something about it. But just from reading the text itself, it's yeah, it, it's a very unusual storytelling decision, and I, yeah. I don't think it's something that ruins the story. But it, it's it's just something that when I first read it, I was like, 
huh, this is weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's, yeah, it's such a shocking thing that you can't help but be taken out of the moment to yeah, step back and back. reevaluate what it is that you're looking at, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, like, hearing you talk it out, like, I, I'll admit that this year's worth of stories, although narratively it was easy to follow, like, I couldn't put my finger on it. There was something about it that was just elusive to me, you know? Did and, it make you feel uneasy? Uh, I don't think uneasy is the word. I, I, I just think I was perplexed is the only way that I can put it just because there was so much going on. And I think subconsciously I was trying to make sense of, of everything that was going on and how it was connecting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with the overall story. Like, the again in terms of the plot it was it was easy to follow i got that part i got what was actually happening to mark and adam and the various members of their life but it it just felt like the pacing was off and it felt like the story was i guess jumping at a bunch of different ideas from a lot of different directions and i just i don't think i could make sense of it until until right now when we're talking it out, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to me that you pointed out the connection between um, Mark's violation and how that runs parallel to, like, the sense of impotence that he feels from not being able to stop Robot. Like, mm-hmm. I guess there was just so much being thrown at me. I didn't realize that Oh yeah, that's he's kind of just relentlessly being beaten down in every way possible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, for, he's, he's been beaten down in every way possible and the only thing that kind of lifts him up is when Eve has their baby, yeah. you know? It's like seeing his child gives him it revitalizes him in a way, you know, yeah. not not to the point where he feels he can reclaim the world uh and over overtake robot but it gives it, him a reason to keep going <laughs> yeah exactly he's he's gonna keep on living yeah 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 it's interesting because when i was thinking about this year's worth of stories i i came to the same con or not not conclusion but i came to the same uh sense that you had where a lot of it was me just kind of forming or throwing out random ideas uh as opposed to something cohesive like even even right now i'm still just trying to pluck things out out of the ether and try to make sense of it and um one of the things that sort of that jumped out at me was the idea that i I think i came at it from i came to the same conclusion that you did about how this year's worth of stories was about power, but I think I came at it from the opposite direction, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was the the absence of power, right? Mm, yeah. So I was looking at it, and 
Well, not so much the absence of power, but the absence of responsibility with when power is involved, right? Mm-hmm. Or the dereliction of duty, I guess, would be a, a, a better way to put it. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about it, the first thing that jumped out to me was how so much of the series of this story is the consequences of people stepping away from what they're what they're responsible for right or what they they have to do or what they should do so you know real early on we see that robot takes over the world Mm -hmm. and what does mark do uh mark compromises he makes a deal to because again he you know he comes to the conclusion that he can't fight robot without just doing more just destruction and devastation so he just chooses to live with it not only that but even if he did try to fight robot he couldn't fight him alone he wouldn't he tries to get his father and the other uh viltramites to help him yeah but they're not willing to intervene because of the damage that will happen to earth if they try to fight yeah 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 totally totally so yeah what what so mark ends up abandoning his duty and he allows himself to live in this new world right mm-hmm. and even then once once he is faced with the reality of this new world he find he runs even further by not choosing to correct it and you know he's already made that strike one where he's already made a deal not to fight this guy in that moment and then he takes it a step further by just absolving himself of his duty and leaving altogether right yeah leaving the planet and when we think about that in the context of what happened in previous issues well even in this issue like what we see another example of that is his dad omni-man uh when robot comes to him you know robot makes a deal with him and what does omni-man do omni-man chooses to do the same and uh compromise compromise as well so it just feels like over and over again in this uh, chunk of stories, uh, what we're seeing is these compromises, like just the the heroes making these compromises over and over again and just how far back it pushes them. Like we already saw in previous years how Mark, like when the Viltrumites came to Earth under a thrag, mm-hmm. they, they made that deal to allow the Viltrumites to stay on Earth because... Again, they they justified it by saying that any battle with the Viltrumites would only end in the destruction of the planet, you know? So it's almost like how much further can they continue to run away from from their responsibility, from what they should be doing until it ultimately just bites them in the ass, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it kind of feels like that's already happened because... yeah. just this whole series of compromises throughout the not just in these issues but all of the small compromises that small and big compromises throughout the entire run up to this point have led to the have led to robot essentially becoming the leader of a fascist world yeah yeah this is this is that's what it is basically right like i don't yeah, it's a think... soft kind of fascism, but yeah. essentially it's fascism nonetheless. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 
maybe the people, maybe the general public don't realize that a fascist has taken over their planet, but it kind of feels like at some point this so-called utopia utopia or you know the whatever improvements that robot has made like that's not it there's no way that can last right like it yeah like there's no way that the very second that someone speaks up or contradicts or clashes against his system mm -hmm. he's going to be put in a position where he has to make a decision on what his principles are going to be like what his priorities are going to be whether the freedom of the people he's trying to protect are going to outweigh the functionality and the efficiency of his system. Yeah, and yeah. he's one of those super genius types who I'm sure will rely on the cold logic of calculus to make those kind of decisions yeah. regarding human life. Yeah. The the other thing I wanted to mention was in uh, in a previous issue of Invincible, um, Mark goes to the future where he encounters uh, the immortal who who continues to live on. And the immortal ends up being the king of the world. And mm -hmm. their version of Earth is just this totally messed up place, you know? And all he keeps telling Mark is, you shouldn't have gone, you shouldn't have left. And I remember reading that at the time and that sticking with me because... You know, it was some foreshadowing, right? Mm -hmm. And even though they tried to play it off like, oh, this this is just a potential future, we, we don't know that, that it's going to actually happen or whatever. Um, you know, having read enough comics, there's a part of me that knew that that was something that they were building up to on the horizon, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So the whole time after having read that, that was just something that, in the back of my mind, I was just waiting for that shoe to drop, you know? And but then in that future, wasn't it that Invincible had, him, Invincible himself had conquered the Earth and he left the Immortal in charge? That's true. That's true. I'm I'm kind of curious to see if that plays into it. I'm still kind of curious to see if something happens there. Mm -hmm. You're right, but. But yeah, it it goes with uh with what we were saying about how eventually these compromises will lead to like whatever the ultimate like downfall is, right? Yeah. So even though robot and whatever he has going on seems bad right now, there is something just on the other side of this that I feel is going to be that much worse, you know. Yeah. It, yeah. it's it's hard to ignore like as bad as this is there's something bigger and badder out there yeah 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 it, it feels it definitely feels like what robot has done so far is not yet the lowest point like it's it feels like there it's going to get even lower than this like he's going to do something things are just going to get worse and there isn't really anything that mark can do at the moment because he ended up just choosing to leave the planet yeah 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 and the whole idea of compromise that you brought up too makes a whole lot of sense in the in the overall scheme of a superhero comic especially what started off as a teen superhero comic and i, I guess 
Mark isn't necessarily a teen anymore. He's at this point he's probably in his early twenties, I'm yeah. guessing, or at least like a college age person. But it, it it does go back to how Invincible is basically like the Spider-Man of this of that generation, you know, like of the early two thousands mm. in comics. Invincible was kind of that generation of comics version of Spider-Man, the teen hero who has to learn on the fly and grow yeah. up while dealing with powers and not just powers, but responsibility. Yeah. You know, that, that's kind of like the basic fundamental nature of a lot of these kinds of superhero comics. It's just the delicate balance between power and responsibility. And here we're, we're seeing what happens when the hero, it's, it's like seeing the hero, I don't, I'm not going to say he made the wrong choice or anything, but I think the choice that Marks make in leaving the planet is, it, it's it's hard to imagine Spider-Man doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it feels like most heroes well, wouldn't have just left the planet entirely. Well, there was that one really popular cover where Spider-Man leaves the the costume in the garbage bin and it's him walking away. Mm-hmm. So, Spider-Man no more. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if he would outright leave the planet, but he, he certainly <laughs> flirted with the idea of turning his back on his responsibilities. But, I mean, but now that's that, the thing, though. Like, Spider-Man, with, with Peter Parker, he always thinks about being Spider-Man no more, right? Like, that story was about him deciding to give up the responsibility of being Spider-Man, essentially. But what happens at the end? Of course he has to be Spider-Man again. Like, yeah, there's just no yeah. way that he can deny that part of him for a very long time. Yeah. And, and that's what I was going to mention was yeah. it'd be interesting, again, if Kirkman decides to take that idea mm-hmm. and, like, po- drags it out over, like, a bunch of issues as opposed to having it resolved at the end of one issue where Spider-Man where Spider-Man ultimately decides I can't not not be Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think Kirkman, maybe the difference with what's happening here in Invincible is is not that Invincible has decided he can't be invincible anymore. I don't think Mark has I don't think Mark's thinking is is that he can't be invincible anymore i think in his mind the only way that he can make sure everybody on the planet is safe mm. is by not fighting robot openly but there's something about living on the planet with robot in charge that just makes him sick or he's <laughs> you know like he can't do that yeah like it, yeah like every day waking up living in this world and being reminded that you're impotent or you know you lost and there's nothing you can do yeah like that i'm sure that that weighs on him as well and also the knowledge that um raising his child in that kind of world would be something that he didn't really look forward to you know mm-hmm. so I, I think maybe that kind of points us to the other elements uh the other one of the other ideas that's pretty heavily explored in in these issues which is 
the element, the idea of parenthood, parenthood and family. Mm. Because in, in some ways, I guess it's easy for us to look at it as, oh, he's compromising. He's in dereliction of his duty. He has all this power and he's not doing anything about robot taking over the world. But on the other hand, you can kind of imagine being in his shoes thinking, man, if I try to fight robot, I'm just going to get killed. And then my daughter is going to have to grow up in a world without me. And who really wants that to happen too, you know? So I guess in a sense, it's, it's not a compromise that's born out of selfishness. Yeah. Not, not selfishness, not really selfishness. Yeah. It's, and it's not born out of fear. I don't think. You mean cowardice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't think he's being a coward, even though even though other characters explicitly think he's a coward. Yeah, I, it, it's it's just hard to hard to say, man, because for the immortal and duplicate. Yeah, maybe they're OK with trying to start a rebellion, even though they have kids also. And I'm sure if Robot really wanted to, he could easily figure out where they are and slaughter them <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they're they're making their decision and mark is making a different decision with eve so it, it's yeah it's hard to say that one side is correct and the other side is wrong you know like it, it's it's almost one of those situations where you just have to you understand why each side is doing what they're doing and you have to you know, somehow be able to live with that. You know, you can't can't really definitively say Mark is a coward for leaving Earth. Hmm. Yeah. What did you think about all the family stuff in these issues, Albert? Uh, it's you know what I did think. I think it was an interesting choice to have uh, this new dynamic of Mark as a father, uh, of placing this conflict in him of choosing between, you know, the the safety and protection of his personal world as against as it relates to the world at large, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They spend entire chunks of of the back end of the the series with him once he's lived in once he's decided to leave Earth and raise his family on the Coalition homeworld. There are just chunks of story that are committed or dedicated to him as a father. You know, him dealing with uh, his his baby girl getting sick, him dealing with just spending time with her, you know, like it's just a little like minutia of parenthood, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I thought that was good stuff. That was interesting. And um, it's, it was a good way to seed uh, that, that sort of new level of growth in Mark, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, I don't know what it was. I was reading when when I thought of it or when or, or what particular section I was reading when when this thought occurred to me. But as I was reading this year's worth of stories, 
there was something that made me think back to Mark as a character so early on in the series and thinking about that version of Mark compared to the version of Mark that I was reading at, at the present, it just Mm -hmm. made me realize just how different he was, you know? Yeah. You were talking about how he was a teen superhero before and now how he was in his twenties. And it really does feel like there it's a pretty stark change from being that teenager to just this really complex person you know yeah um there's real character growth yeah totally um the other aspect of family that that did intrigue me as i was reading it this uh in this version of the trades was the stuff between him and his dad you know Mm. like this is a pretty complicated a super complicated relationship and uh you know the the entire series kicks off on the with on the crux of the idea that what happens when you know your dad betrays you like that that emotional uh that emotional i guess Trauma? nugget oh or yeah that emotional uh nugget was just like such a huge cornerstone of invincible moving forward right yeah yeah and for them to get to a place where they reconciled with each other only to have this new sense of betrayal happen all over again but this time it's an emotional it's more of an well i I guess the first one was an emotional betrayal too but there certainly wasn't a beating this time (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know yeah it's it's interesting to see that play out because when robot comes to yeah as i mentioned when robot comes to uh omni man he makes him another deal and omni man takes it you know mm-hmm. and mark the whole time he he's just pleading with his dad and saying hey man like we if we like marshal our forces we can totally take him on and and again this is uh omni man being derelict of his duty well, uh, granted, his duty in this case has evolved to be the duty towards his his people, the Viltrumites. But mm-hmm. instead of choosing to stop Robot by allowing this uh, truce to occur, it's it's a pretty huge betrayal of Mark, and Mark is pretty disappointed, disappointed. disappointed! <laughs> This isn't my world. <laughs> Disappointed. Right? So it's it's interesting to I thought that was yeah, uh, I thought that was a pretty interesting way to bring that around, you know? Yeah, it really Which, is, man. That's a good point. And it it also again, this is just me grasping at thoughts and ideas, but one of the things that I noticed about this year was how much of the series is about this constant back and forth uh, in terms of ideas. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, originally Invincible has this concept of what heroism ought to be. And when he's confronted by, uh, what's his name? The guy that ran, runs the organization. 
Which organization? The one who died. Oh, Cecil? Yeah, when he's confronted by Cecil and his worldview, you know, he, he, he finds it abhorrent, even though Cecil believes that in the protection of the planet, no matter the cost, right? Yeah, but then he has this kind of, Cecil had this kind of ends justify the means attitude, I think. Yeah, yeah, right? But then eventually he comes back around to it and he, to the point where he even ends up working with Cecil again. And then mm-hmm. what ends up happening is he he takes his newfound ideas and he decides that he's going to lean into it and he breaks dinosaurs free and he yeah. goes and says, I'm going to try to go to that next level and i'm you know i'm gonna make the world work you know using those means Mm -hmm. and that ends up failing him and you sort of see him go back but now in this current year's worth of stories he's confronted with that level of uh power again and yeah he even concedes in in this year's that he doesn't even even though he wasn't happy, in fact, he was, even though he was angry with what Robot had done to his friends, like, it was hard for him to deny the results of, of his actions, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. true, man. So there's just this constant back and forth between whether Invincible is going to embrace, like, traditional superheroics or... or whether he's going to come into conflict with whatever this larger worldview of uh, betterment is supposed to look like, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that was something that jumped out for me. Yeah, it definitely makes you as the reader question whether it's going to lean into the familiar superhero tropes that we always see where the hero is just going to punch his way to victory yeah we're gonna see something new yeah i liked what you were saying earlier about how mark's journey or evolution in terms of how he would try to go about solving earth's problems evolved like it's interesting to see that after mark and the dinosaurus experiment failed now we have robot basically taking very similar ideas that dinosaurus and mark were doing but he kind of but robot and cecil takes them, even yeah and cecil yeah and but robot just takes them to the logical conclusion of being even more ruthless than than any of yeah. them and this is the result that we get yeah crime is dropping people i guess the quality of life for just about everybody on earth is Im- improving mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but there's still you know the, there's a lot of blood that he that he uh, spilled in order to get to that point even if yeah. the general public is is unaware and not only did he spill a lot of blood to get there but again it's it's the whole issue of fascism and how he might, in his mind, he thinks he's created a utopian kind of society or a society at least where everything is so much better off under his authority than it was the way it was before. But you just know, man, like there's no way that that's going to be maintained. Yeah. It, it can't it can't really 
uh, function like that indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. So even what what Robot ended up doing to to Monster Girl, I think that 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 issue was another pretty outstanding issue. Mm-hmm. The the one where she he he basically gives her one more chance to to try and I guess either accept him or you know just be basically be on his side, right? Yeah. And uh, she ends up. You know she's she's not down with it basically, and he yeah. jucks her out of the airlock. Out of the airlock, and after after that, um, yeah, it, it's like it, there's this sense of of him having some regret, but at the same time, like somebody who's that cold hearted, like it, it's hard to believe that somebody that cold hearted can can still be redeemed after everything that he's done to Earth. <laughs> at this point you know like, yeah yeah like i i can't yeah if if they tried to restore his good name or or something like that I, that would be really unexpected i think like if they tried to to have him go out as a as a true genuine hero or something that would be pretty unexpected mm-hmm. Like even towards the end, there's a moment at the end of issue. What is this? Issue 114. Uh, so I'm yeah. This is still the first uh, trade I think, but it, it's the point where after he robot has already you know gotten rid of Monster Girl and uh, Invincible has decided to make his compromise and robot has pretty much done what he set out to do. And there's no one really left to oppose him other than the small number of heroes that are still in hiding. But he, these last two pages of him at the end of issue 114, it's, it's him sitting at his office or at his desk surrounded by his computers and his keyboards. And he's just looking contemplative and thinking about his past. And you just see these flashback scenes from throughout earlier in the series of him as robot on the teen team, him as the young cloned body of Rex first talking to, to monster girl when she was, you know, in her kid form, him at the funeral of Rex Blood, him talking to monster girl after, right after they defeated her son and captured him, you know, mm-hmm. he's just reflecting on all of the, the points in his life's journey that brought him to where he is. And the issue just ends with him looking down with it, you know, his head's, his head's bowed and he's got his hand on his forehead. Like he's just, and he just looks sad, man. Like he, like it feels like there's a part of him. If I'm interpreting the art correctly, it just feels like there's a part of him that, that has some level of regret, but he's just pressing on because it's the cold. He's already committed to it. Yeah. He's committed to it, but there, yeah. there's still, it's like something in him that recognizes that he, the choices he made led him to where he is now, and there's not really anything he can do to walk that back or, you know, redo things. Mm. There, there's some kind of, uh, there's pathos in that, man. It, it, that's a pretty entertaining storytelling right there, I think, and on the part of Kirkman and Otley. They did a really good job with that. It, it just makes 
it just makes it engrossing to read because you want to find out as a reader uh, not only what's going to happen next in terms of the plot and uh, what's going to happen to the people on Earth or all the characters, but you're also wondering what's happening internally to to the characters emotionally. I think that that's the kind of thing that a lot of superheroes don't do well is make you emotionally invested. Mm. And I think Invincible, the series, does that exceptionally well. It it definitely it definitely gets you to buy into the characters and their world and the emotional complexities of all the different things that have been going on and continue to go on as you read the series. Mm-hmm. One of the things I also wanted to bring up was issue 117. I think that might have been one of the most outstanding issues for me in this run just because it was so unusual, man. It it was it's the issue where it's basically Mark and Eve's last day on Earth before they fly to the other planet. Mm. And Mark and Eve basically go about their day saying their farewells to to different people and and uh it, it's all just conversations with with their friends and family and then uh they head off the planet for you know an indefinite amount of time with their baby it kind of feels like that could have been a conclusion like if they had ended the series on that note yeah it would have been a really offbeat but strangely powerful ending on its own like i I could have i don't remember uh the serialization of these issues because that at this point, I wasn't really buying the issues. But can you imagine if issue 117 had come out and then the series just went on hiatus for like five years or something? Well, I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> but that issue has a really memorable opening scene too. Like the very first page of that issue of issue 117 is mark going to the comic book store to pick up all the comics that he hasn't picked up in in his pull box for almost two whole years so he just gets this fat stack of science dog comics and he's flipping through them and talking to the comic book store guy and he's like and mark is like holy crap science dog is a woman now (laughs) and then there's just this whole scene where where they uh talk about corporate cape comics you know it's 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 a funny commentary on real corporate cape comics yeah i mean the guy essentially just says that what do they talk about they talk about how after a while with any comic that's run as long as it has you know yeah they try to do different things uh to what me and you, I guess, would call gimmicks, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. like pull people in, and like the what death ends of up Superman? Yeah, exactly, right. The death is a perfect example, and listen to our last episode, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a, a very short-term gain for something like that, but they acknowledge in this conversation between him and the comic book store guy that you you ultimately end up losing people 
diehard people that don't really necessarily know, uh, that don't necessarily feel connected to whatever's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I forget what he says, but it's something to the effect of... I, I have it open right now. I can... Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll just read the excerpt. It's a funny, it's a funny scene, so... Yeah. So one, the first panel is Mark saying, holy crap, is Science Dog a woman now? And then the comic book dude says, not exactly. Science Dog is still in the book, but now the focus is on, is on his alternate dimension sister. It's a weird <laughs> choice, but still pretty cool. And then Mark says, man, I hate it when a book has been going for over a decade and they start changing things so drastically to keep the story engaging and new. Sure, it has a chance of keeping things interesting, but it's just as likely to alienate the dedicated readers that have supported you all these years. And then Comic Book Dude says, I hear you. I hate change. That's why I mostly read the corporate comics. Good guys always win. Same bad guys always come back. It's comforting. <laughs> and then Mark says, are you serious? And then the dude laughs and says, hell no. Those comics blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a funny scene, man. It's definitely yeah. a commentary on what was going on because these comics came out in 2015, I believe. This these issues of Invincible and and Jane Foster as Thor had begun in late 2014, if I'm remembering correctly. So it it definitely feels like that's very relevant to the time the period that it was published. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it is pretty funny. I did think it was uh, interesting that it was that one uh, comic book shop owner who would be the one to to acknowledge that corporate comics suck. Yeah. Because there was a part of me that was like, well, that guy being that guy, I kind of <laughs> would have expected him to back corporate comics. Well, not necessarily back them, but. He would have been the kind of guy who would have kept buying them and reading them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Compulsively, just because. But yeah, like it those was still people that funny. have to have every X Men comic or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So I was uh, kind of curious, though, like to. So you brought up the idea of of the element of the of family uh, in mm-hmm. this year's worth of stories. And I'm kind of curious what you what what thoughts you had on fam on on the theme of family here. I think, in terms of the theme of family, seeing it play out in Invincible made me enjoy and appreciate his character growth. That's probably the thing that, on a very visceral level, stuck with me the most is just how being a father has shifted his priorities or being a family man has affected him because he ends up moving his family to a whole different planet because that's the safe, or I guess in his mind, he believes it's not only the safest place for them to be, but just, it'll just be better for them. And then you get to see all these different domestic scenes of him and Eve and their baby who they have. That's your alley, dude. Tara. Yeah. 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 Like they, it's 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 really different, I think, from what we see in a lot of other corporate-owned cape comics. Because what you were saying earlier, a little while ago, I think you mentioned how you thought the pacing was 
really strange in in these issues compared to most of the other years. Mm. And I think yeah. maybe part of that has to do with how the first arc is there's definitely a lot more action in the first arc and I think the first arc represents or is more typical of the pacing that we've seen throughout the series as a whole up to this point. But then once we get to this second arc where they go to the other planet, it's pretty different because the conflicts that Mark is dealing with now, they're not really, he's not really, he doesn't really deal with too many conflicts other than trying to figure out how to settle into their new home and figure out how to be a good father, raise a newborn baby, you know, all the, all those kind of adjustments that new parents have to go through on top of that moving to a different planet yeah yeah so i I think what makes it unusual is that the 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 book doesn't like these issues don't really hinge on some kind of conflict uh yeah they don't really hinge on a on a conflict but they kind of spend a lot of time establishing I guess I would call it a status quo or just a new set of circumstances in which Invincible and Adam Eve are living in. So it feels, maybe it feels more like a setup or kind Mm. of like establishing a new set of parameters for us to get used to before they tear it all out from under us. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's something that they like to do is to make you feel comfortable and then do something to, before they rattle your cage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like now that you mention it, it's uh it's it's cool to see to think of it that way, right? Where it it's if if I think of it in terms of them giving me some sense of comfort in this new life, you know, in this from this abrupt shift to just all these epic battles that's con- that are constantly going on mm-hmm. to just the mon- you know the 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 minutia of parenthood right yeah. uh but if i look at that as establishing cornerstones for whatever the next big epic drama is it it makes a lot more sense now you know mhm mhm and uh it's interesting that you mentioned that we we don't see uh too much of that family kind of development in a lot of other comics. Yeah. It it, it automatically made me think of the Fantastic 4 and when I think about how much time is dedicated to the them just being a family, I I and I don't just mean the interactions because there's that stuff is in the Fantastic Four, but I mean stuff like, you know, changing diapers or just going out on a walk, mm-hmm. little things like that, right? Like mm-hmm. the the Fantastic Four, as far as I can tell, they don't really do anything like that, you know. Like you don't get too many issues or stories where it's just what they're like at the breakfast table. Maybe maybe they'll commit like a couple of panels here or there to that sort of story, but. Um, 
you yeah. know, generally speaking, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a time where an entire issue was about them just, you know, doing family stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think with the Fantastic Four, we definitely see scenes of them eating cereal at the breakfast table or things yeah. of that nature. You know, just scenes of Johnny. Just enough to give you that thing. sense that they're a family. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they're at the table playing jokes on each other or whatever. And you, you get the sense that, yeah, they like each other, even though they play pranks on each other and tease each other. Uh-huh. They're close to each other, ultimately, yeah. is, is what the point is. But we don't really see too many scenes of Reed and Sue being parents. Like, yeah. most of the time, it's like they take their kids, drop them off with the babysitter, and then yeah. go fight the bad guy or whatever, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you don't really see too many scenes of them just... Being a father Being and a mother. Mom and dad. Yeah. Like, I, I I, think, well, I guess there are a lot of stories where we have short scenes where we see that, but we yeah. don't necessarily have, I can't think of a full-on story arc that primarily deals with them as parents. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And if it is about them as parents, it's still ultimately about them going on some kind of crazy science adventure right their kids exactly. are with them exactly yeah. right it's it's within the context of them being superheroes first almost yeah. and family second even though they're the first family of superheroes yeah <laughs> and here when we see mark uh you know finally away from all that on the uh on on this new home world yeah it, that that scene really does jump out at me the, of of him waking up in the middle of the night to change his baby's diaper while Adam's asleep and just you know it, it's it's a bunch of little panels but mm-hmm. you just see all the things that he does from just keeping her entertained to cleaning her to uh feeding her and you know ultimately to her. yeah playing with her and ultimately to have this just brief yet heartfelt conversation with her, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's really, it's really meaningful. I think it, even seeing the scene where Oliver, we, we see Oliver in the series again after a long absence and Oliver's a little bit older now. And he has this girlfriend who looks like a giant bug or a giant mm. insect. Mm. And they basically go over to Mark and Eve's place and have a have dinner together so just just those kind of scenes where they're doing normal kind of family type get-togethers you know it's like yeah you haven't seen your brother in probably a year if not a couple years and then finally move to a place where you live close to him so of course he's gonna come over and introduce you to his girlfriend that like that's something that real people that's an interaction that real people have with with their families, right? Yeah, and so I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take you on your word for it. <laughs> I assume that that's what real people do. <laughs> I- I've watched enough TV <laughs> to know that that's how humans are supposed to be, Albert. <laughs> you call this a hug, do you? <laughs> what is the point of this hug? I wasn't hugged very much as a child. Actually, 
I haven't been hugged very much as an adult either. The closest thing I ever got was when I was hugged around my neck with someone's fists. <laughs> you, you mean someone was trying to strangle you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, not a hug. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all of those issues showing these domestic scenes are pretty fascinating because we don't really see that with a lot of corporate cape comics. Like, it feels like because this is Kirkman and Otley's comic, they can do what they want. They're able to allow the story to breathe. They don't have to feel beholden to have a villain appear in every story or have a really big action set piece in every story. Although there is action in these stories, if you think about it, because you do get a couple pages of Battle Beast and Thrag fighting in most of those issues. There's, it's just kind of to the side, you know? It's not like the primary yeah. element until you get to the very end of it. Well, I'm kind of fascinated by this now because I'm looking at Chapter 4 in the second trade, and it's them arriving on the planet, and it's it's just... it. it it's a, it's a issue that comprises all that stuff that you were talking about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize this at the time, but I'm flipping through it. And this entire issue, there really isn't any action. You know, there's drama, certainly. There's the drama of, you know, Mark revealing, you know, uh, revealing the, the details of his rape. There's the... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the drama of uh, Mark trying to pinch a loaf of alien food through his digestive tract. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's, all this stuff is happening, but there really isn't action action. You know, I don't know what what actual issue number it is in in the in the series, but that is a pretty. Pretty different direction to go, you know, Um Mm-hmm. yeah it's like you said earlier most comics would have to revolve around some sort of fisticuffs at some point but to do this entire issue that's just all conversations and uh emotional drama that's wow i'm i'm uh yeah it's uh it's it's impressive it is man it's good to see like even, yeah. even uh i think it might be the issue you were talking about, but there's that one issue that ends where where uh, Eve and Mark panic because their baby stops breathing and they think something, you know, they think she's, you know, yeah, she that's might the be issue. dead or something, right? Yeah, that's the issue. Yeah, and uh, so you 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 know there there's that kind of drama, but it, it's not really anything where he can fix her by punching somebody, you know, like it's the next yeah. issue starts off with them. Frantically going to the hospital yeah, or looking yeah, for a frantic. hospital. You know, that's that's yeah. the that's the kind of panic that you would expect to see from yeah. from parents. And I kind of doubt that fanboys would would be able to appreciate that. <laughs> Where's Doomsday? <laughs> Where's Doomsday? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. It's. It's one of those, this is one of those stories that we just wouldn't really see in too many other 
superhero comics. Yeah, it's bold. Many, yeah, it's a bold move to take. <laughs> yeah, I was. I've recently been rereading the Bendis Avengers run, like his, starting from. Uh, yeah, like from Avengers Disassembled and all of his New Avengers and Dark Avengers, Mighty Avengers, all of that stuff, man. Like, I, I got his entire run uh, from meticulous patience collecting in quarter bins over multiple years so i've been reading those right and in in those issues luke cage and jessica jones have a baby and there are a handful of scenes where you get to see them talking to each other you know kind of having family time but it's always just a couple pages in this in a story here and there like most of the time it's it's either Jessica's at, at their home or at, in their base with the baby while Luke is on an adventure or the they, they leave their baby with a babysitter and she goes out and helps him fight. Mm-hmm. There was like one story early, uh, early on in, not early on, but one story right after Secret Invasion where their baby gets kidnapped by, the, by a Skrull that was posing as Jarvis. So like that that's the kind of you know melodramatic scenario that you expect to see in in a superhero comic where their baby gets kidnapped by an alien and they have to tear up the city to find their baby. Yeah. That's the more traditional kind of family story that you see. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there are a couple scenes here and there where Luke Cage changes a diaper, you know, but it it just feels nothing nothing wrong with it, but Compared to Invincible, scenes like that are just kind of perfunctory, you know? Like, they're just kind of yeah. lip service to remind you, hey, don't forget, these two they're characters a have a family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there isn't really uh, a, a, a deep exploration of what is it like to be in a family or what, what do normal, real people do? Or yeah. not even real people, but what, what do characters in their situation do when they're not fighting the wrecking crew or whatever yeah. it is, you know? Yeah. Like there's this, again, I, I'm just going back to that word of uh, just being domestic and you, you don't really see too many scenes of that. And it's, it's funny to see how in invincible having this domestic life, it, it's, it actually does kind of function as some kind of uh, character growth for, for both of them, you know, like you get to see, how having a baby has changed both of them. Yeah. Not only. Well, I think in real life, that's real character. That's real. Yeah. Growth. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's not even character. It's growth. It's exactly. People change when that it's, happens. It's human growth. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like we, I think we, we see that with all of our friends that we've grown up with and they have families and, and they're raising kids and all that, you know, they're, they're not exactly the same people that we grew up with you know like they're yeah. they're changing and that's that's normal yeah but i but with with cape com with corporate cape comics it it doesn't really matter you know like luke cage and jessica jones could have a baby but at the end of the day luke cage is still gonna go up to dr doom and be like where's my money honey <laughs> you know yeah. That, yeah that's still what he that's just how it is and and um i was gonna also say how going back to that one scene we talked about from issue 117 in the comic book store where they talk about where Mark is talking to the comic book store dude about corporate comics. It, 
it definitely feels like when you have a Marvel or a DC comic that tries to do something big with the character and show character growth, that only lasts as long as that creative team is in place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. However, with something like Invincible, all of this character growth that we've been getting over the past 120 issues, it's it's all cohesive. You know, it continues to build and build. Like you were saying yeah. earlier, man, this, the way that Mark was back in issue one, he's a different person at yeah. this point, you know? And yeah. it's normal. It's not, it's not like he's fundamentally a totally different person, but he's obviously a person that's been affected and impacted by the different people he's met, the yeah. different experiences he's had. Yeah. And just the normal maturation of growing up, and yeah. on top of that, be becoming a father and and everything else. Yeah. But with with corporate comics, again, going let's go back to Thor as an example. You mm -hmm, know, since mm -hmm. we were talking about the Jane Foster Thor earlier, so when Jason Aaron wrote Thor, he wrote for quite a number of years, and even though Jane Foster became Thor for a while, it wasn't like he it wasn't like Jason Aaron neglected Thor Odin's son. Like, he was still a big part of those stories as well. And he ended up going through a major character arc throughout the entire run. And by the end of Jason Aaron's run, Thor Odin's son was in a totally different place that he was when he began. And that was a really beautiful story, really well done with incredible character development. But, the, but after Jason Aaron left the book, very next issue is a new Thor number one written by Donny Cates and what does he do he pretty much just like ignores everything that Jason Aaron just did yeah you know? yeah like yeah he might give a little lip service in in the first issue but then the entire tone of the book shifts and Donny Cates just does what Donny Cates do yeah so yeah. you don't really get that natural progression of growth if you just read Thor you just have to read Jason Aaron's Thor and you'll and then you'll get that satisfaction but if you're just constantly reading Thor and you don't care who the writer is and you just really want to see the dude's adventures then you're constantly getting these resets where the character grows and then he yeah. gets reset to a point where he was before so it, yeah it's it, it gets kind of annoying after a while yeah it it gets meaningless after a while <laughs> yeah yeah it gets meaningless. you know um it's interesting that you brought that up because I, I feel like I have to mention this uh, to our listeners, but just so you know, in terms of Invincible, there are only a few more trades left until mm -hmm. the series comes to an end, you know? So, 144 issues. Yeah, it makes me think uh, just how much more change is he going to go through? Like what, what's he ultimate, what's he going to look like at the end of all this? Right. And I'm kind of interested as a side experiment, if they had done a comic like this, where you could have seen him grow just old and gray, you know, just, mm. just to see what an entire lifetime would have been like for that character, you know? Mm -hmm. uh like one example of this that i can think of is that uh what what's what was that zadarsky spider-man story uh spider-man life story yeah life story right like what if they had done something like that applied that that same concept 
went to the to an entire series, right? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been quite uh quite a quite an experiment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I wonder if anyone's ever really done anything like that. I'd I, I'd have to think about it. I don't I don't have anything off the top of my head. Well, the thing is, I do think that Robert Kirkman and Invincible are in a unique position to do something like that, just because he had the authority to make this series his way for as long as he did, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's rare that any creator gets that sort of leverage and range. Yeah. So this might be the closest that we'd ever see to something like that. And and it is it's you can you can tell that Kirkman's playing with a lot of different ideas and it just makes for some really compelling uh compelling storytelling, you know, and compelling mm-hmm. uh I, I don't even know if like philosophy is the word, but just ideas literary experimentation okay mm-hmm. there we go mm-hmm. yeah 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 definitely man there's just it's just such a pleasure to continue reading a series that engrosses my imagination like this you know i think mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes uh reading a lot of superhero comics can be mind-numbing just as yeah. you mentioned earlier it gets meaningless yeah and i've read i've read more superhero comics than probably the average bear mm-hmm. and sometimes i just read them because i just want to know what you know what they are i'm just curiosity yeah. really yeah. i just want to experience for myself maybe uh if i hear other people talking about something or if it's a character or a creative team that yeah i'm interested in you know there's just a lot of stuff that i might borrow from the library and all the things that i've read over the years so finding something that's 144 issues long and very enjoyable, man, you got to I definitely appreciate that just for the entertainment value. Mm. Mm-hmm. You got any final thoughts you want to say before we head on out? Uh No, I'm I'm satisfied and i'm happy with what we've discussed today and well i i will say this as as my final thought i i think when i read this year's worth of stories before coming Mm -hmm. to this podcast Mm -hmm. i i wouldn't say that i looked at them badly or anything but i don't think i've I favored them as much as I did the previous years, but having mm. talked with you about it, I've, I've, uh, I've found more appreciation for it now, you know, mm-hmm. like now that yeah. I'm mulling it over in retrospect, there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot there where once I've connected the dots, I was like, Oh yeah, that was, that was pretty well done. Yeah, totally, man. Like this is, this is one of those comics where I think having these kind of discussions enhances our enjoyment of it, mm. which is not something we can say about every comic. I mean, we spent a couple hours talking about the death of Superman. And that was just all pure just vitriol. <laughs> it it didn't enhance my enjoyment of the comic no, at it, all. I, I did not walk away from that feeling better about it as a work of art. 
I um, felt better about hating on it, yeah. knowing that you also <laughs> hated it. <laughs> and when that one guy hate messaged us, I felt oh, yeah. even more vindicated. <laughs> I'm glad we made him mad. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that said, thank you everybody for listening. This is Between the Gutters. Signing off, we will catch you next time. Peace out. <laughs>